everything related to pressure is a double-edged sword. The fact that something really matters to me is a double-edged sword, that's great, but it can also you know, lead us uh, down to some suboptimal outcomes. So in terms of whether stress or pressure is better, it kind of depends on where you're at. You know, stress, I can't do anything about it, right? I don't have the ability to impact the circumstances under my definition of stress. So I got to just sit with it, which in many ways is more painful, right? When I'm watching my kids play a basketball game and the team's losing, I would much rather be out there losing myself because the experience of watching them is so uncomfortable. But when we are experiencing pressure and we have the imperative to act, like it's up to us, we actually have to do something. That can also be pretty darn uncomfortable, depending on how important the outcome is. At least with stress, it's like, there's nothing I can do about this, right? I just got to detach. So I don't know if one is better or worse. I do think pressure is more of a developmental experience. Because it is accompanied by the need to act, pressure you know, can help us get better. It can help us grow. It can help us contribute. So the subtitle of the book is Why Pressure Isn't the Problem, It's the Solution. And I do believe that pressure can be a solution. It can be really beneficial. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. If you've ever been to a women's conference or a professional development program, you'll most likely at some point hear women say that they just don't feel good enough. This is the toll that day-to-day experiences of inequality have on women's sense of self. But it's not just women. Increasingly, men are facing the range of challenges stemming from the incompatibility of work and home life. After several years in the workforce, women are often much more aware of inequality. The day-to-day experiences of inequality can be difficult, if not impossible, to navigate alone. When women fail to solve the inequality that they have no hand in creating, they often start to believe that they're just not cut out for working life or, you know, that they're not good enough, which makes solutions aimed at fixing women so popular yet wildly ineffective. The environments we work in not only influence the attributions we make about our own performance, but they determine the attributions we make about other people's performance. When women and minorities are successful, companies are much more likely to attribute that success to things like luck, But when women make mistakes at work, they're seen as lacking ability, while men are viewed as having a bad day. The longer women remain in organizations, the more likely they're going to be exposed to marginalization and discrimination, which negatively impacts their sense of belonging and self-esteem. Environments play a critical role in the attributions we make about men and women's success at work. Research finds that when women work in what we call unwelcoming environments where, you know, they're negatively treated or they're treated in stereotypical ways or they're underrepresented in leadership positions, they're more likely to discount their own success and internalize their failures. Black women in particular have to work a lot harder than white women to prove themselves as they are much more likely to have their expertise or judgment questioned. The pressure to perform, the pressure to avoid mistakes at all costs, the pressure to manage the incompatibility of work and home life negatively impacts the mental and emotional well-being, performance, job satisfaction, and career success of both men and women at work. Pressure can and has over the pandemic proven to be incredibly hard to manage. So what can we do about it? 
On today's episode, we're joined by Dane Jensen, CEO of Third Factor and an expert on pressure. Dane is the author of the book, The Power of Pressure, Why Pressure Isn't the Problem, It's the Solution. When we talk about pressure, we usually conjure up negative images, being pressured into something, feeling the weight of pressure. Even the dictionary definition of pressure focuses on coercion and intimidation. And who could forget Queen and David Bowie singing about pressure being the force that burns a building down, splits a family in two, puts people on streets. But is this the whole story? In this episode, Dane is going to unpack for us what pressure is, how it differs from stress, and how we can harness pressure to our benefit, both individually and in our organisations. Dane has worked with thousands of high performers, including top business leaders and executives, world-class athletes, Navy SEALs, politicians, and even busy parents. If you want to understand how pressure is experienced differently for everyone and what you can do to excel during difficult moments or challenges in your life, then this extended episode is just for you. Here, Dane will start us off by sharing his definition of pressure. I just kept asking the most interesting people that they could one question, which is, what's the most pressure you've ever been under? And I found that this question, it was almost like a bit of a portal into a world of incredible stories and wisdom. But one thing that I did note was that what I got back spanned almost the entire range of human experiences. I got stuff back that were kind of the classic things like writing an exam or a job interview or a big presentation. But I also got stuff back that was like, you know, holding down a demanding job while caring for parents who are at the end of their lives or, uh, you know, a guy who had swum too far from shore and realized all of a sudden that he wasn't going to be able to get back in because the tide was going out. So there was stuff that was really all over the map. And so my first job was really to try to understand, okay, what do all these things sort of have in common and what distinguishes pressure from related states, in particular stress? So one of the things that people would immediately say to me is, okay, the most pressure I've ever been under or the most stress I've ever been under? And so I would say to them, well, you tell me, what's the difference? And the best way that I've been able to kind of distill this down is I use the metaphor of like watching a sporting event, right? It could be a football match, a basketball game, but something that you care about deeply. As a spectator, if this is a close game, if it's important, you're going to feel stressed watching this game, right? My wife is a huge basketball fan, our local team, the Toronto Raptors and the NBA. You know, if we're in the playoffs and it's the fourth quarter and it's a close game, she leaves the room because she can't watch it. She finds it so stressful, but it's not pressure right? Pressure is reserved for people on the court, right? People who are playing the game, who have the opportunity to impact the outcome. And so from my perspective, we experience pressure when we are in the position to impact the outcome of an important, uncertain situation, right? So first, it has to be important because if it doesn't matter to us, we're not going to feel pressure. The importance of the outcome directly correlates to the amount of pressure that we feel. The second thing that has to be there, though, is uncertainty, because just because something really matters to me, no matter how important it is, if I know exactly how it's going to turn out, I'm not going to feel pressure. And so the one sentence definition that I kind of honed in on for pressure is that pressure is this sensation that accompanies the imperative to act in important, uncertain situations. As counterintuitive as it seems, pressure can be beneficial, if not necessary, to achieving our goals. As Dane explains. Everything related to pressure is a double-edged sword. The fact that something really matters to me is a double-edged sword, that's great, but it can also you know, lead us uh, down to some suboptimal outcomes. So in terms of whether stress or pressure is better, it kind of depends on where you're at. 
you know, stress, I can't do anything about it, right? I don't have the ability to impact the circumstances under my definition of stress. So I got to just sit with it, which in many ways is more painful, right? When I'm watching my kids play a basketball game and the team's losing, I would much rather be out there losing myself because the experience of watching them is so uncomfortable. But when we are experiencing pressure and we have the imperative to act, like it's up to us, we actually have to do something. That can also be pretty darn uncomfortable, depending on how important the outcome is. At least with stress, it's like, there's nothing I can do about this, right? I just got to detach. So I don't know if one is better or worse. I do think pressure is more of a developmental experience because it is accompanied by the need to act. Pressure you know, can help us get better. It can help us grow. It can help us contribute. So the subtitle of the book is why pressure isn't the problem, it's the solution. And I do believe that pressure can be a solution. It can be really beneficial. People coming up to you and saying, man, you're carrying so much pressure. How do you do it? You seem unflappable. I think that this goes back to where we started, which is what's worse or better, stress or pressure. I think pressure is better to some extent or mediated by self-efficacy and self-confidence. So if you feel like you have the capacity and the capabilities and the confidence to handle acting in these important uncertain situations, which I suspect you do, that really mediates the impact of pressure, right? So that's what turns pressure from something that's overwhelming to something that's energizing, right? When an Olympic athlete is in the starting blocks, yes, the pressure is immense, and they often bring incredible self-confidence and self-efficacy to those moments. It's the same thing with public speaking. Right. There are some people who would rather a hole opens up in the ground and swallows them than stand on stage and speak in front of 500 people. And then there are people like us, you and me, who do it for a living where we're like, this is actually energizing. I love the feeling when I get up there. And I think that's you know, mediated entirely by your belief in your ability to handle the pressure that you are under. When we look at the degree to which the genders have an active or passive self-critic, you know, what we know is that in general, women tend to have more active self-critics. And so I do wonder if part of the kind of self-confidence or whatever the right kind of phrase for it is, self-efficacy, self-critic, I do think that plays a huge role in the degree to which we can carry pressure. Despite companies' best efforts to support employees during the pandemic, according to the latest Women in the Workplace study from Lean In and McKinsey, women are feeling more exhausted, burnt out, and under pressure than men. Here Dane shares why not all pressure is the same. One of my favorite stories in the book, the difference in the value that gets placed on different situations, different work, emotional labor, like all that stuff. One of my favorite stories is a guy named Kyle Lowry, who is one of the star players for the Toronto Raptors. And a couple of years ago, we won our first championship in the history of the franchise, 27 years. And on the eve of the last game in the finals, he got asked a question by the media at a press conference around pressure. You know, here, what does pressure mean to you? And he took it in a completely different direction. He said, you know, pressure for me is my mom having to get up at 5 a.m. every morning for 17 years and her having to make sure that her three kids had food in the fridge and her having to create the environment where we could actually go and do the things that we needed to do and doing that day in, day out with financial instability, having to balance a family with work. And so I think this notion of what is the type of pressure that gets the headlines is a really interesting thing to dig into because I think I, you know, I kind of started to deconstruct them into the difference between peak pressure moments, which are like the Olympic final or, you know, him on the eve of a basketball game or like a job interview. But then there's also the pressure of the long haul, 
you know, which is the degree to which we are bearing the grind of a high volume of important, uncertain things, but not necessarily like these moments of glory where we're kind of like winning the big pitch. I'm probably not paraphrasing exactly what you said, but I do think historically in kind of gender norm roles, women have borne the brunt of the grind of pressure while men get the glory of the peak pressure moments where they go out and, you know, nail the whatever. And so I do think those two types of pressure have been historically kind of misrepresented or somehow seen as of different worth or value. And I think that grind, that long haul of pressure is something that now many of us have experienced in a different way through COVID. And I personally just know a lot of people, men in particular, who are like, holy crap, I had no idea how much was going on that I just was completely unaware of the stuff that my partner was just taking care of in the background that I wasn't even party to. And it's like that load, I hope anyways, is starting to become a little bit more visible, although for sure we're not at at end of job yet. But I, I think those are two different things for sure. Because not all pressure is the same. We need different strategies for responding to the different challenges that we face. Here, Dane shares how we can manage peak pressure versus the daily grind of pressure to our benefit. This is the thing that I actually found the most interesting in all the the research that I did, which is it actually turns out that the stuff that works in peak pressure moments doesn't work at all over the long haul and vice versa. Like they're almost two different skill sets. And so I talk about this notion of being pressure ambidextrous, like the ability to kind of flip from peak pressure moments to like the grind. And what's interesting about this is it goes back to this whole notion of everything related to pressure as a double agent, right? So the first thing that has to be there for pressure is importance, right? If something doesn't matter to me, it's not going to create pressure. Okay. So importance through the grind, the long haul of pressure, it's all about bringing importance close, right? Because if we're going to make it through the grind, I better have a really clear line of sight to how does doing this connect to something that really matters to me, right? How is this helping me grow and make progress? How am I contributing to the company, to family, to society? You know, how is this bringing me closer? to? So, you know, when we're going through the grind, One of the core imperatives is to constantly make sure I have a line of sight from what I'm doing up to why this matters to me. Why is this important to me? Otherwise, it's going to feel hollow, right? It's going to be very corrosive over the long haul. When you flip into peak pressure moments, all you can think about is how important it is. Like finding importance is not the issue in peak pressure, right? When you're heading into a job interview, it's like, oh my God, if I don't get this job or if I'm going on to you know, the Olympic stage, it's like, I've been training for this for 20 years. And so actually it flips from, I got to pull importance close and really work to make sure I've got the line of sight that gives meaning to pressure. And instead I have to almost flip and go, what's not at stake in this situation? Like, what are the important things in my life that are not at play here? Because that's what's going to free me up to perform. And so there are all these weird sort of dualities where there's one thing that's going to work over the grind, over the long haul, and almost the opposite is what you need to do in peak pressure moment. We often think of resilient people as being Teflon. No stresses seem to stick. They are unflappable. But this isn't the case. Resilience is more about bending in the face of adversity. It's about flexibility over rigidity. Building the muscle of resilience is less about consistently performing to a high standard and more about getting confident in your ability to deal with setbacks when they arise. The concepts of pressure and resilience, from my perspective, are joined at the hip. They are two peas in a pod. So absolutely, from my perspective, pressure is what creates the need for resilience, right? You know, my definition of resilience really 
starts at, you know, a recovery, right? It's that ability to get back to center. The metaphor I used for resilience, which just kind of hit me between the eyes a few years ago, I was doing a bunch of work at a hospital that focuses on rehabilitation research. So they really dig into rehabilitation from complex conditions like stroke, spinal cord injury, that kind of stuff. And, and one of the things that they focus on is rehabilitation for balance. Because if you are rehabilitating from a brain injury or a spinal cord injury, one of the things that you really need to get back quickly is your balance so you don't suffer a devastating fall, which can really set you back. And when I was talking to the researchers, what I learned is that, you know, historically, the way they have rehabilitated balance is to teach people how to stand in really stable defensive positions, right? Like how to stand in such a way that it's very unlikely that you're going to get off balance. What they have started to do instead is they will hook the patients up to the ceiling. So they'll tether them to the ceiling so they can't fall. And then they literally have somebody come in and shove them over. And my question to the researcher is like, why would you do this? Why would you take you know, somebody who has just suffered a stroke or a spinal cord injury and like shove them off balance? And they said to me, what we learned is that stable defensive postures, they're great until they're not. Once you get off balance, they're pretty brittle. It's actually way more effective for people to relearn what does it feel like to be off balance and retrain the stabilizer muscles to fire to get them back in balance. And so treatment has really evolved from focusing on stability to focusing on response and recovery. There's this misconception that it's like pressure is about growing a thicker skin. It's about, you know, this ability to just stand so strong and like never get moved. And I think that's just BS, right? Like we are getting pushed off balance metaphorically over and over again. In particular, when we're talking about women carrying the grind, right, the long haul of pressure, you're going to get shoved off balance over and over and over again. And so for me, resilience is that stabilizer muscle. I think in, in many ways, organizations are doing a lot of the shoving and they're not tethering people to the ceiling, right? <laughs> there isn't that safety net. And so when we look at this, I think there's a few things. First, what we know very clearly is that Social support is one of the big mediators of when I get shoved off balance, how far do I fall and how quickly do I get back? And so I think the ability of organizations to really prioritize the building of strong relationships and making sure that we do have social support in place from our managers, but from our peers, like that has to be very deliberate and conscious because all of the research on resilience tells us that it's those relationships that act as a bit of a buffer when people get pushed off balance. And the second thing from my perspective is we have learned over and over again that resilience is a trainable skill. Those stabilizer muscles can get stronger. I think it's just laziness. Organizations go, you know, that's been a really tough six months, but you know, what you've really learned is resilience. And it's like, okay, I must've missed that day. Like where we actually learned resilience. You know, it's like, as far as I can tell, we just keep like, you know, driving trucks over people and going like, okay, well, it looks like you're learning how to be really resilient here. So I do think there has to be some like conscientiousness taken on both the social support side, but also on the learning. There's lots of research on this stuff, right? We can learn to be better at this stuff. Uh, and I do think both of those are, are imperatives. The million dollar question we all have is how do you deal with pressure? Well, here Dane shares important strategies that you can use to manage the moments that matter. There are actually some real problems associated with pressure. I think you'd kind of have to have closed your eyes for the last two years to not see some of the downsides of pressure. And at the same time, when we look at pretty much any environment where human beings excel, there is pressure, right? We do a lot of work in sport. Where do more world records get set in the world of sport than anywhere else? 
the Olympic Games, right? Why? Because there's pressure, right? It's like hugely energizing. As a parent, what is it that allows us to sustain through three months of sleepless nights and like abject terror that we're screwing everything up at the start? It's pressure. It's like the pressure that, you know, I'm responsible for this. I need to act in this important, uncertain situation. And so I got really curious about this notion that like, how can pressure be so bad if it's present in all these environments where human beings excel? And I think what we want to recognize is that there is energy under pressure. Pressure is basically just a label that we put on a big ball of energy. And that ball of energy is going to be labeled very subjectively, right? Two people can be in the same situation. One person goes, I'm really excited. The other person goes, I'm really terrified. We're just putting different labels on the bundles of sensations that are kind of erupting inside of us as we experience pressure. And so when we get into those moments, what we want to try to do is first, remember, as Carl Jung said 100 years ago, what we resist persists, right? So if my solution to pressure is just to like try to push it away and shove it, uh, you know, it's going to get worse. It's going to create a sense of helplessness, which is going to feed into increased pressure. And so I do think part of how we use pressure as an advantage is we have to get a little bit comfortable going like, okay, here it is. It's energy. What am I going to do with it? And from that position of observation, now there's a couple of things that we can start to work with. Ultimately, what we're working with in pressure is attention. What am I choosing to pay attention to? Right? How am I directing my focus in this high pressure moment? Am I focusing on the fact that my palms are really sweaty and I feel like I'm about to throw up? That's one place I can focus my attention. Right? Or am I choosing to focus my attention on what I've prepared for the first five minutes of this presentation? or on the person in the audience who's nodding vigorously because they really need what I'm talking about today. We can direct our attention in an infinite number of ways. And I think what sabotages us under pressure is if our attention unconsciously gets diverted in a way that reinforces the anxiety spiral or the pressure loop that we're under. And so a lot of what we spend our time doing is, what are the things that you can be holding in mind that direct your attention productively? So if we go back to where I talked about importance earlier, and I said, in our peak pressure moments, importance can be totally overwhelming. That's why I like the question, what's not at stake here, right? When I start to build the stakes of this you know, presentation or up to like, this isn't just about the, the client, this is about me, my promotion, my future, you know, am I worthy? Am I a success? That's when we got to redirect our attention and go, okay, what's not at stake here, right? What are the things that won't change about me, about my life, regardless of whether this goes well or poorly? Because our attention drifts, right? It, it moves to places that are profoundly unhelpful. We've all had hard moments over the last 18 months. For many, that's an understatement. But it's what we take away from these moments that will determine how we respond to pressure in the future. When we look at uncertainty, which is one of the huge drivers of pressure, right? As human beings, we are not well adapted to, to high uncertainty. When we are in our peak pressure moments, there's really one imperative, which is like eliminate as much uncertainty as you can, right? Find where you can act and act as quickly as possible. When we're talking about the long haul, this constant process of getting shoved off balance, there is this wonderful improv game that I learned about through my research called Fortunately, Unfortunately. The way this works is like the first person kicks it off by saying, fortunately, like I found a $100 bill on the ground. And then their partner has to keep it going with unfortunately, right? Like unfortunately, when you bent down, like you pulled a muscle in your back and you had to go to the hospital. And so you go back and forth going fortunately, unfortunately. And I think this metaphor for me is the perfect example of what people who are good at pressure over the long haul hold in their head. 
right? Which is that life is just this ongoing game of fortunately, unfortunately. And to me, the central message of that game is I actually can't know what the present is going to look like from the future, right? Just because I feel really good, like, hey, you found a hundred bucks, right? Like, doesn't mean I'm going to look back on that as a good thing. You know, just because I feel terrible in the moment, it doesn't actually mean I'm going to look back on this 10 years from now as, as a setback. And so this ability to hold, hey, the future is unknowable. Like I am playing my own game of fortunately, unfortunately, and it's going to go well, it's going to go bad, it's going to go well, it's going to go bad, but still hold to this belief that at the end of the day, things are going to work out, even if they work out a little bit differently than I expect, right? That game is going to keep winding. That to me is one of the toughest things to hold to. But if you can get there, then that sets you up really well for you know, managing the uncertainty of the long haul. If you want to run, hide, or avoid challenges when they pop up, you are not alone. This is a normal response to scary situations, especially if we doubt our ability to deal with failure. But the consequences of running away is that we'll never know what we could have been, done, or achieved. And it's the not knowing that Dane says fuels our regret, which can be the toughest challenge to overcome. It's actually really hard, maybe even impossible to enjoy periods like this. And at the same time, if you can get to an answer to one of three questions, right? How has this pressure helped me grow in a way that matters to me? How has enduring this pressure benefited others? whether that's my family, my team at work, society, or you know, how has this period of pressure really brought me closer to people that I care about? Those tend to be the three paths to importance, right? It's about growth or it's about contribution or it's about connection. And I think if we can find a really good answer to one of those three questions, we might not want to repeat this period, but at least it feels meaningful. We derive some satisfaction from how I handled that, how I got better, how I contributed, how I connected. And that's really what we can ask of our long periods of pressure. Because when I talk to people whose periods of pressure went really well versus didn't go well, really at the end of the day, what they talk about is the difference between satisfaction and regret, right? When we emerge from a long period of pressure feeling like we grew, we contributed, or we connected, that's what feeds satisfaction. If we can't answer that, that's when we start to carry regret. And nothing has stuck with me more than corrosive value of regret. When we stick with regret for too long, it really changes the way that we experience and reflect on our moments of pressure. So I would encourage people to actually take some time and really be honest and charitable with yourself. Like, let's look at where was I two years ago and what can I do now that I couldn't do then? How have I grown emotionally? What resilience have I built? What confidence have I developed? What skills have I learned? What relationships have I deepened? What impact have I made? and actually hold that front and center so that you are seeing this in balance as we move forward. When we try to make the solution to pressure to eliminate it, that often I have seen leads down the road to people carrying regret that sticks with them for decades versus like, hey, this isn't going to be comfortable, but I'm going to emerge with a sense of satisfaction that I handled this in a way that was up to my standards. I think that's where you need confidence, satisfaction, all that good stuff. We really hope you enjoyed this extended episode. There were so many incredible insights, strategies and practical takeaways that Dane shared on how to deal with pressure. We hope these will be useful to you all in navigating the challenges and opportunities in your lives. 
Thank you for tuning into our episode today. If you're interested in partnering with us or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through our website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.